Advocacy can be awfully intimidating. People's heart rates go up when they think about even writing a letter to a member of Congress or a mayor, you know, much less making a phone call or having an in-person meeting. But advocacy, deep, meaningful advocacy, I think is the answer to accelerating progress. Welcome to Boulder, a podcast where you can learn how to change the world from the people who do. Hear from guests who are helping solve global challenges like environment, health, and inequality to figure out how you can do the same. Boulder is a media platform that also includes our written content website, where we post articles to help you understand and act to solve global challenges. So visit us at boulder.world, that's B-O-L-D-E-R dot W-O-R-L-D, to learn more. Are you ready to start changing the world and want to build a website? Say you want to start a nonprofit, or maybe a personal blog, about a global challenge. Every website needs a web hosting service, and that's why we're happy to partner with A2 Hosting. A2 Hosting is an industry leader in web hosting and offers seamless integration with WordPress, which powers Boulder and is one of the easiest website builders to learn. A2's hosting plans start as low as $2.99 per month. Yes, folks, that's $2.99. So visit A2 Hosting through our affiliate link, which helps support our platform at boulder.world slash recommends slash a2 dash hosting. That's the letter A and the number two dash hosting and start solving global challenges through an online presence or do whatever you want with your website. Just please use our link and buy A2 hosting. Hey friends, I'm your host, Will Fritzler. And the voice at the beginning was John Oldfield. John Oldfield is a global clean water expert and principal at Global Water 2020, a nonprofit advocacy organization that lobbies for clean water access in the developing world. They work closely with Congress and federal agencies to make the United States a leader in global clean water, and with a variety of public, private, and nonprofit organizations to implement clean water policies and projects across the world. John is a leading voice in clean water, having previously led two other related advocacy groups. John calls clean water the most important and most solvable global public health challenge. So we are pleased to have spoken with him on this underappreciated but rather important global challenge. Here is John Oldfield. Hi, John. Thanks for being with me. Hey, Will. It's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. I wanted to start with talking about your inspiration and sort of what gets you out of bed every day to help solve global water security. I read in one of your, actually it was a talk you were giving, and you referenced a district in India where you helped achieve 100% WASH. And, and for our listeners, WASH basically is the acronym that John and his colleagues use to refer to clean water, sanitation, and hygiene. This facility in India achieved 100% wash in its healthcare facilities. So I'm curious to know, what is a success story you are proud of from your time in global water advocacy? You know, that, that district in India, you know, anytime somebody talks about 100%, anytime somebody talks about actually getting the job done, that's exciting. 
the Sustainable Development Goals have a target by 2030 that 100% of the planet should have access to WASH, to safe drinking water, sanitation, and hygiene. So I'm inspired by any effort that aims, that sets out to accomplish that 100% goal, and then actually gets there. We essentially have, there are exceptions to this, of course, I think of you know lead in Flint, Michigan, but we essentially have 100% coverage of water here in the United States. There is essentially 100% coverage of water in Western Europe, many parts of Eastern Europe. You know, Australia, New Zealand, Japan, and so on, many parts of Asia, across much of the Western Hemisphere, we've accomplished these goals. We're, we're only looking at the last 10, 15% of the world's population, depending on how you define it, and depending on how you define access to safe drinking water, sanitation, and hygiene. So what gets me excited is solving the problem. What gets me excited is accelerating progress towards solving that problem. If we carry on the way we are, we're going to continue to make incremental progress over the coming decades. And maybe in 2300 AD, everybody on the planet will have safe drinking water. That's not acceptable. We need to significantly accelerate progress. So what gets me out of bed is this is solvable. And advocacy, in my opinion, is the way to solve it. Advocacy, frankly, is the most important means toward accomplishing the 100% goal set out by the Sustainable Development Goals by 2030. I wanted to follow up and sort of drill into what it is about water security that motivates you. Is there something about the effects of having clean water for people that stands out to you above the others in terms of why you advocate for it? Yeah, well, I spent the first six years or so of my career doing democracy and governance work in post-conflict sub-Saharan Africa. And a lot of stories there, but the the takeaway is the the missionaries say you can't teach a hungry man about God. Well, I I would suggest that you, you can't teach various forms of participatory democracy to people who do not have basic human security. So I, I look for the most basic, most fundamental need for human security. And, and I guess that's air. But so maybe the second most important is water. And, and the water is, is something that it hits all of the investment criteria for me. It is a very serious problem. It is absolutely solvable. And it's, it's what I call pre-tipping point, cr- pre-critical mass. There just aren't enough people paying attention to it yet. When I was at 10 or 12 years ago, when I got my start in water, I was really looking to get back into the, the global development space on an issue that hits those investment criteria, very serious, very solvable, and pre-critical mass. That was also, if I might say, a lot of fun. And I don't mean to, to belittle the challenges of a person's life and livelihood that doesn't have access to safe drinking water within easy access or, or, or his home, but this is a fun issue. It's intellectually challenging. I can see progress even from an advocacy standpoint almost every day. And hopefully, however, I will not be doing this for the rest of my career. I would actually like to solve the world's water problem or at least push it past that tipping point. I love how you use the word investment criteria because that brings up a great, it brings up the difference between being in the private sector and being in in the nonprofit sector. And you started out in private equity. And so you, you developed this mindset of you know, what is the best investment and how can we produce growth and favorable outcomes through investment? And you, it seems like you're sort of applying that lens to advocacy work. What inspired you to make that transition from private equity to advocacy work? What I like about the world of high finance is, is leverage. You know, if you put in $10, you might put $100 to work or $1,000 to work. That's what I like about financial leverage advocacy provides me political leverage. 
you know, if I invest $100,000 in wells in rural Guatemala, I might get 10 wells or 20 wells. If I invest $100,000 in advocacy, in educating members of parliament, in informing members of Congress about the importance, the gravity of the water problem and the solvability of the problem and what they might do about it, if I invest that $100,000 in advocacy, I might get out $500 million in the next year's budget. That's what I mean by leverage. So let me give you another example of that. If we provide $500,000 worth of sanitation facilities in Tanzania, okay, that's that's important. Then we get a, a number of block toilets or a number of household toilets and sanitation facilities. That's super. That's $500,000 well spent. If we provide a $500,000 credit risk guarantee to local banks in Tanzania to make loans, that $500,000 credit risk guarantee on behalf of the U.S. taxpayer might shake loose 10, 20, 50 million dollars in loans and local currency in Tanzania. So I like the leverage. I learned a lot in the world of finance and leverage is the key takeaway I have. There are more effective ways to truly leverage, in this case, U.S. taxpayer dollars than just by poking X number of holes in the ground. I think that's a great point about how we can best impact the field we're in, because I think a lot of people take an approach of, you know, I'm going to make a lot of money in the early part of my career, and then I'll start donating it. And that's the most effective path to doing good in the world. But perhaps based on what you're saying, there's a more strategic approach where you don't have to delay the process of impacting the world and helping solve these issues. And instead you are seeking very specific and meaningful kinds of leverage, particularly politically. Water is not free. Sanitation facilities are not free. Hand washing with water and soap is not free. Somebody somewhere has to pay for those services. You know, sure, yeah. you can take your baseball hat and grab some water when it rains, but that's not a real sustainable solution. And I'm, I'm open to every possible type of financial mechanism to accelerate progress in the global safe drinking water sector, yeah. uh, whether it's 100% loss, pure philanthropy, all the way through hybrid and innovative financial mechanisms to commercial rates of return. There's room in the water sector for all flavors of finance, but the, the fact of the matter is there's not enough of any of these right now. So my work in advocacy, yes, it's to create political will and to strengthen political will, but it's also to identify additional sources of financing that can be directed to, let's say, shovel-ready projects that are ready, willing, and able to be implemented right now, but just lack finance whether it's in the United States or Western Europe or across the developing world. One great point that you've brought up and that I was going to ask about later is reaching beyond your sector. And that's one of the pieces of advice you give about advocacy work. My read is that global water security is very much related to other global challenges. You mentioned girls' education and how solving water security can lead to better girls' education. There are other issues that work the other way, where solving them helps solve global water security. Trying to dive into what can be done about global water security, which global challenges are connected such that working on them will actually help solve water security too? Well, you hit on a, a big one there, Will, which is girls' education, particularly primary education. If you're a teacher in sub-Saharan Africa, Central America, South, Southeast Asia, 
and you see there are more boys than girls in your classroom, then you obviously are interested in why. Well, one of the reasons why, not the sole reason, one of the reasons why is that girls are typically expected to haul water for their families. And then if and only when they finish that, then they can go to school and get an education. If you want to have more girls in school for longer periods of time and actually healthy enough to learn and retain those lessons, you got to provide safe drinking water, sanitation, and hand hygiene, hand washing with soap, not just to their schools, but to their communities as well. Yeah, the girls' education, primary education is a key. Once the girls get a little bit older into puberty and start menstruating, it's shocking, but the impact of menstrual hygiene products for pubescent girls is huge. If they don't have menstrual hygiene products, then they're going to drop out of school for maybe that week each month. And then once, and then they start falling behind. And once they miss a week, a month for maybe five or six months, then the data indicate that they may well drop out and stop their education there and then get married and start having children and, and, and this and that. So the impact of something as seemingly innocuous as, as small as safe, affordable and sustainable menstrual hygiene products for older girls accomplishes those two goals. Yes, it keeps them healthy. And yes, it keeps them in school for longer periods of time and healthy enough to learn. So there are, there are linkages, and this is part of what makes my work so interesting and so intellectually challenging, is that very rarely is the person sitting across the table from me, whether it's in the U.S. Congress or administration, USAID or Department of State or the private sector, very rarely is that person coming to me and saying, I'm really interested in solving the global wash challenge. It's typically me and my colleagues going to that person and saying, I know you're interested in, for example, preventing the risk of violent extremist organizations in Northeast Nigeria. And, and how does water fit into that? Well, farmers are going to farm and herders are going to herd and the animals might meet those farms and it, there's a conflict that's, if not caused by, then certainly exacerbated by, magnified by, water insecurity. Now, can I say that Somali piracy is entirely due to a lack of safe drinking water in Somalia? No, I can't. I can say it is one factor. Water insecurity is one factor. And more importantly than what I can say, the U.S. national intelligence community just produced a memorandum in November of 2020 that says exactly that. Water insecurity yeah. poses any number of threats to the U.S. and our allies, and it is solvable. We can get ahead of this we can work with our allies to prevent droughts, for example, from becoming famines, which is another important linkage that I'm looking at. Droughts will happen, but famines are optional. We can project where a drought's going to happen. We can work with the leadership, the political leadership and the private sector leadership of those countries and say, here's what we think is going to happen. And here's what we think we can do to help you stop that drought from becoming that famine, which then could, uh, could destabilize that, that region, that country, that entire continent. So we can get ahead of some of these water problems. I think you raise a, an important point about the nature of advocacy and how you often have to connect it to other issues that resonate more with people. This is one of the themes that I have found in, in the work I've done for Boulder so far is the number one piece of advice that I hear about effective advocacy to solve these kinds of issues is framing it from the perspective of the listener and actually meeting them where they sit across the table. Do you think that thinking about why global water security hasn't been achieved yet, do you attribute it to the lack of that sort of advocacy? Or is it the fact that people in government don't ultimately prioritize it and act on it? 
What's your read on why global water security hasn't been solved, given that you call it the most solvable global public health challenge? Well, I mean, that's that's the, the $64,000 question there, I think, which is if, if it's so solvable, well, then, you know, why are we still facing 3 billion people that cannot wash their hands with water and soap in the middle of COVID? Right. And, and there's a couple of reasons for that. You know, first of all, as solvable as it is, it is difficult. And, and if you look, if you drill into those wash and health linkages that you just asked me about, wh- what we have here is essentially a traditional health challenge might have a traditional health solution. You're sick. Here's some medicine. What we have with WASH is a health challenge, but a public works solution. So it's not giving medicine to a person that has a health challenge. It's providing public works, water and wastewater infrastructure to keep that person healthy, to keep that person from getting sick in the first place. So we're selling a public works solution to a public health problem. And we're also selling prevention, which is so hard. (laughs) Relatively speaking, and, and I have a lot of friends working in the disaster response, emergency response, and recovery space. People get that. The American public gets that. If something's on fire, put out the fire. If something's bleeding, put a Band-Aid on it. And then think about, well, how do we not have that problem again? Cholera is a perfect example. COVID is a perfect example. We know there will be cholera outbreaks. We know that there will be another infectious disease We might not know when it's going to break out or where it's going to break out or what the precise disease vector is, but rest assured, inadequate water and sanitation and lack of hand washing will be part of the problem and certainly part of the solution. So how do we sell prevention? Let me give you one specific example. There are 17 million women who give birth every year in healthcare facilities that lack access to wash, to water, sanitation, and hygiene for patients and healthcare workers, doctors, nurses, healthcare paraprofessionals, and so on. Unconscionable that one would go to give birth in a healthcare facility that doesn't have safe drinking water. So, okay, obviously that's an important problem. Obviously that's solvable. Why isn't it being solved? Well, in this case, I get to speak the language of the healthcare sector. I get to speak the language of infection prevention and control. I get to speak the language of antimicrobial resistance. I get to ask the healthcare sector, let's think about broadening the definition of quality of care from including the appropriate number of nurses and beds and x-ray machines and diagnostic equipment. Let's broaden the definition of quality of care to explicitly include safe drinking water, sanitation, and hand washing stations within your hospital, within your smaller healthcare facility, and so on. Okay, so that's kind of a no-brainer, right? Nobody really argues when I suggest that, but then how does it actually get done? You're in the business of solving problems on the ground, and how it gets done is by, uh, I would suggest, advocacy within that discrete healthcare facility, advocacy within that broader healthcare system, where you have healthcare advocates asking the CEOs of the hospitals to be sure to include water, sanitation, and hygiene within that facility so that I, as a nurse, so that I, as a doctor, can actually do my job. Mm-hmm. And that's what's so intellectually challenging. And this is a long sales cycle. It takes a while to get these messages across, but these are important asks. And, and increasingly, folks are coming up with a lot of the right answers. This makes me think about all the different paths that people can take to actually solve global water security. And we've talked about advocacy work because that's where your home base is. And and I think you make a great point with actually advocating to healthcare systems directly. That may be uh, of the long list of potential solutions that might be near the top of the list. So a follow-up to what you just asked is, is there a certain path, be it 
nonprofit advocacy work like you're in, or actually becoming a healthcare administrator, maybe starting a healthcare system in a developing country as an entrepreneur, is there a particular path that you think is more effective than others or more valuable at solving these issues in healthcare facilities or in general? My first and broad answer to that, Will, is start with the problem and then find the most appropriate solution. The flip side is if you, if you start with the solution and then look for a problem, you might get yourself into trouble. A group of students approached me a few years ago with this great idea for a backpack so that women wouldn't have to haul water on their heads. 10 liters in front, 10 liters in the back, and the solar rays purified the water as they were carrying it. So just a great thing. 10 liters here and 10 liters there. And then I asked them one question. Their target market was sub-Saharan Africa. And I asked them, well, where does a baby go? You know, it blew their mind because they hadn't ground truthed it. They hadn't tested it in the field to see if it was locally appropriate, which it, which it was not. So back to the drawing board. If anybody listening is in a situation where they see a water problem, I would suggest that they can look at it two ways. One, they can either solve the problem or, and this is what I'm really suggesting, they can get it solved. Whether it's you're, you're facing a lead problem in your community in the United States or Western Europe, or you've got arsenic poisoning in rural Bangladesh then you got a couple of choices. You know, you can go out there and get under the sink and replace the lead pipes with PVC pipes. Right? Okay, well, not everybody can do that, but pretty much everybody can make a phone call. So the, the distinction that I'm, I'm drawing here is, do you solve the problem or do you get the problem solved? And I'm suggesting, of course, I'm biased. This is what advocacy is all about. I, I don't own a used drilling rig. I'm not driving that used drilling rig around Sierra Leone poking holes in the ground. That's a bad idea, period. And it's certainly not my strength. My strength is not solving problems. My strength is knowing the right people to call who can solve the problems at the scale and at the pace at, at which they merit. As challenging as that seems, that's pretty easy for most people to do. It's shocking what a letter to Congress, it's shocking what a difference that makes. People pay attention. It is shocking to me the difference that one well-timed, well-placed phone call to a city council can make. People listen. No matter where a person lives, a, a person is a resident of that geography, that country. A person is likely to be a voter. A person is even more likely to be a taxpayer and a ratepayer. You have rights. You have responsibilities. There's this two-way street between people and their governments. The social contract. Yeah. I pay taxes. I expect services. If I'm paying taxes and not getting those services, I've got a problem. And if you're in a position to help people less fortunate than you are, pave that two-way street between the people and their governments. That's powerful stuff. What I'm doing is, you know, obviously I'm, I'm working, doing my work in Washington, D.C. on behalf of populations across the developing world. But I'm also looking and we are making a number of advocacy grants to our partners across Africa, Asia and Latin America to do exactly that in their own countries. So all of a sudden I have Indians educating the Indian parliament rather than me mm -hmm. going in there. Yeah. I have Guatemaltecos talking to Guatemalteco members of parliament about how important water is in their communities. I have healthcare facility leaders in Cambodia talking to the Ministry of Health in Cambodia about WASH and the quality of care continuum. Advocacy can be awfully intimidating. People's heart rates go up when they think about even writing a letter to a member of Congress or a mayor, you know, much less making a phone call or having an in-person meeting. But advocacy, deep, meaningful advocacy, I think is the answer to accelerating progress. And we can also spray paint our lawns green. 
we can shower in groups. You know, we, we can find other ways to save water. You know, we can right. turn off the water when we when we brush our teeth. All of those, every single one of those is is a good idea. The real ones and the funny ones. But you know, that that's not necessarily in fact that will not help somebody in rural Vietnam meet their their daily needs for safe drinking water, but it does help to raise awareness of the gravity of the problem and the solvability of the problem. Well, that was a wonderful answer. I latched on to two insights that I just wanted to summarize for our listeners. The first is treat the problem and not the symptoms of the problem. And you worded it a little differently, but talking about, you know, there are many symptoms of water insecurity that might be solved, but you're not actually solving the core problem. So I think that's a great takeaway. And then the second one is don't just advocate for a solution, but empower others to advocate in their specific contexts. I think that's what I'm trying to do in part here with Boulder is actually giving them the path that they need to take in order to advocate in their communities. So I think that's that's a wonderful insight. Uh, another point about everyday actions, I think these global challenges like water security can be really intimidating. I think you use that word. And understanding the power of one single act, like advocating to the Indian parliament, if you're a citizen of India, can be can be extraordinary. So uh, I love that. I wanted to close with uh, a couple broad questions about change and progress, because you're, you're certainly on the front lines of these important ideas. Stepping back from global water security, what do you tell people who want to change the world in a general way in their specific context, but who don't know how? That's a... Uh pretty philosophical question there. Now, all I can do is tell a, relate my own personal story. I've been fortunate a couple of times in my career to see a problem, to see a problem that I can help fix, and then to start fixing that problem and then wait for payroll to catch up. You know, my mom right. always says, if you create the energy, the money will follow. That, that, that has been the case. I discovered water probably 15 years ago. The couple billion people that don't have access to safe drinking water. So, you know, while I was in an economic research firm, while I was in private equity, I started volunteering with a number of water-related organizations, started raising some money, went out to West Africa on a project to learn more about the real world out there and how people are solving their own water problems. And then four or five years after I discovered water, I essentially got a job offer to do it full-time. Not just to do water full-time, but to do advocacy for water, giving me that sort of personal leverage, giving me the opportunity to work on a hockey stick curve rather than a flat curve. So find a problem, figure out if and how you can help solve that problem. Start doing it. Start solving that problem by whatever means you can, which is what I did while I was you know, paying the bills through other means. And then if you still really like it, then go pro. Get yourself a job in that space. And the same, that's not just a water security continuum, of course. That's if you feel passionate about something, start doing it, start solving the problem. If you think you're making progress, then go for it and turn your two hour a week hobby into a 40, 50, well, 80 hour a week job. And, and then <laughs> yeah. and you'll never work a day in your life. I love the quote you shared. Was that your mom's quote? Well, create the energy and the money yeah. will follow. That's, that's mom. Yeah. Much credit to your mother for that. I, I had to write it down. That I love that quote. Last question. What will the world look like once global water security is achieved? Oh, boy. 
Well, I tell you what, there will be more girls in school. There will be not just healthier patients within healthcare facilities, there will be fewer patients in healthcare facilities as we prevent preventable disease. Farmers and herders in Northeast Nigeria will be farming and herding, not killing each other. It's a little known fact, but that farmer herder violence in Northeast Nigeria has killed far more people than Boko Haram, a regional terrorist organization up there. So more girls in school, healthier populations, not in hospitals, not sick with preventable disease, less localized conflict across the entire world, and, and a world population actually able to keep up with the pace of climate change. Regardless of what sort of cycle we're in with climate change, regardless of whether it's anthropogenic or not, none of that matters. What matters is that there are hundreds of millions of people who are struggling to keep pace with a less predictable climate. Yeah. And that's a problem. And water is the solution. If climate change is a shark, then water is its teeth. Climate change is being felt by water, is being manifested in water. It's a lack of water that's making people's lives miserable. If we solve the world's water problem, we will solve health. We will solve education. We will solve climate change adaptation by building resilience to less predictable weather patterns. Again, I'm, I'm biased. I do think that water is the foundation that makes initial progress and sustainable progress possible and any number of other sectors. You certainly made a compelling point. You, you pointed out how water can help solve global health issues, education, issues related to the environment. That's a pretty big chunk of the, the global challenges our world is facing. So you certainly leave me convinced. I'm sure our listeners feel the same. John, it was uh, an amazing conversation. I, I appreciate the time and thank you so much. Hey, Will, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me on your podcast. Appreciate it. Ladies and gentlemen, that was John Oldfield. I was most impressed by how John distilled the complex process of solving global challenges like clean water into simple terms. For example, one of my favorite points he made was about how you can maximize your impact through the concept of leverage. We also covered the importance of clean water for solving other global challenges, which I found compelling, the potentially thrilling experience of everyday advocacy and other great topics. We will be publishing articles in the coming days on John and his ideas, so please visit boulder.world to see those and sign up for our newsletter on the website so you don't miss those or any of our latest content. Lastly, we would love to connect with you on social media. You can find Boulder on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, all at the username at goingboulder. That's G-O-I-N-G, Boulder. You'll find all our content and other fun stuff we're developing. You can also follow me on Twitter and Instagram at the username at Will Fritzler, W-I-L-L-F-R-I-T-Z-L-E-R. That's all for today's episode. I'm Will Fritzler. Thank you so much for listening and have a great start to your week, friends. Much love and go bolder. Mm -hmm.